Frontier Missions Journal. Stories of hope for the unreached with Adventist Frontier Missions. Hello, mission friends, and welcome back. For today's story, we are going to join Kira Greenfield with her experience of having a sick baby in a foreign country with a language that was not yet mastered. I can only imagine how afraid she must have been for her baby, but during her experience there, she quickly realized just how blessed she were as she looked upon the other patients that were around her. One mother that came in was traumatized after her baby got seriously hurt. Kira was concerned that the baby won't make it. Listen to the lessons that she learned during that time in the hospital. Here is her story. My name is Kara Greenfield, and I work in Mandalkiri, Cambodia, on the Penang Project. And the story I'm going to tell you today is an experience that we had when we first moved to Cambodia uh, nearly 14 years ago, and it's called Emergency. She needs to be admitted to the hospital, the doctors agreed. Looking down at little Autumn, her chest heaved with each breath. My heart sank. Where do we take her? I asked. You can try the children's hospital. It's funded by a Swiss man, and they have better service and don't charge anything. If they will not accept her, you can bring her to the state hospital and give them this referral. He handed me a slip of paper. I work there too, so they can call me if they have any questions. The children's hospital doesn't allow child visitors, he said, nodding toward Andrew. Our second day after returning to Cambodia from the States after giving birth to Autumn, she developed a cough. It kept getting worse over the weekend, and on Monday I told Danielle we needed to take her into the clinic. She was having chest retractions, and her cough was not improving. Also, she was not eating well. On Monday afternoon, we took her to the clinic, where we normally go, and they did some chest physiotherapy on her to help loosen the mucus. They suggested we bring her back in the next day for another treatment. We live quite a ways out of town, so I asked if Wednesday would be okay. They agreed. That evening, as I watched Autumn struggle, I began to get a sinking feeling that she was sicker than I had hoped. Tuesday morning, we returned to town to receive the news that she needed to go to the hospital. What do we do, Lord? As we drove in the car, my heart wrestled with the best course of action. As a nurse, I felt responsible for making the best decisions for our family's medical care. I knew how dangerous a respiratory infection can be for a seven-week-old baby in a country with good medical care, much less than a country with sub-Western standards. Should we just head to Bangkok? At the same time, I didn't want my motherly worries to overrule my common sense, and I wanted to put some trust in the people we came to serve. What was I going to do with Andrew if he wasn't allowed in the hospital? With Autumn's condition, we could be there many days. Also, I knew the hospitals here don't provide meals, So how was I going to get food if Daniel couldn't enter the hospital with Andrew? I wished we were still in the States with its family-friendly hospital rules. Let's see if the children's hospital will take her, I said. If they won't, I think we should go to Bangkok. I don't think the state hospital will have good enough care, and I don't want to wait until it's too late to get her help. At the children's hospital, a doctor glanced at Autumn and told us to sit down and wait. A few minutes later, attendants led us down some halls to a large room. Then they left us there to await what would happen next. 
I glanced around and decided we were in a triage area. The beds were lined up about three feet apart, and young children lay on all of them. The room was very large but stuffy, even with the ceiling fans running. I was surprised there was no air conditioning. I didn't see a single Westerner in the room, and I felt very out of place as everyone stared at us. Finally, a bed was cleared near us, and we were instructed to lay Autumn on it. Nurses immediately placed an oxygen mask on her face. Our next obstacle was the language barrier. I'd had about 20 Khmer classes before I had returned to the States for Autumn's delivery, and none of them covered medical vocabulary. The doctors spoke limited English. We learned that the medical system is in French, which I have some ability to speak. The doctor called me over to ask me questions about Autumn's sickness. For the life of me, I couldn't remember any French. I felt like an idiot. We ended up doing a lot of the questions in broken English. Then he dismissed me to be with Autumn. Soon, some nurses arrived to start an IV. It took them two tries to get it in. Autumn was so weak that her cries did not match the pain I'm sure she felt. After starting the IV, they motioned for me to transfer Autumn to a cart. I didn't know where they were taking us, but I hoped it was to a nice private room somewhere with air conditioning. No such luck. She was getting a chest x-ray. That's good, I thought. At least they seem on track with that. When we got back, I realized it was getting late, and I hadn't brought things for an overnight stay in the hospital or food for supper. I soon realized there was going to be no private room and no air conditioning either. I also learned that we were in the hospital ICU, somewhere I never dreamed I would be with my baby daughter. When things get hard, the Lord always provides what we need. Our field director, John Kent, just happened to be making his biannual visit and was in town to meet with us. I know babysitting wasn't on his agenda, but he proved to be a huge help. Daniel took Andrew over to John's hotel room and made arrangements for him to sleep there. Then Daniel drove home to get the things we needed. I was so thankful for John's help. He took Andrew on walks, took him to meals, and watched him during naps. What a blessing. I don't know what we would have done without him. By the time Daniel got there, it was 11 p.m. The guard at the gate would not let him in. Visiting hours were over. It turned out that Autumn wasn't sick enough for two parents to be allowed in after visiting hours. After giving me the things he had brought, Daniel went to find a hotel around midnight to await the start of visiting hours in the morning. I sat by Autumn's bed and ate a bit of supper. No pull-out beds or easy chairs were provided for the parents, just plastic chairs. Most of the parents in the room were sleeping on the beds with their children or under the beds. I curled up beside Autumn and tried to get some sleep. It was a very restless night. All of the nurses seemed to disappear during the night. I figured out that they went to sleep in one of the side rooms. I could only imagine what would happen if there was an emergency in the middle of the night. If I slept on duty working as a nurse in the States, my job definitely would have been forfeit. The next morning, I was up early with the rest of the parents. At about 6 a.m., everyone started taking the sheets off of their beds. I wasn't sure what they were doing until a grouchy lady came by, gave me a dirty look, and pointed to a bin where I was supposed to throw the bed sheets. I got the message. The doctors came to do their rounds at about 6.30, and the beds were supposed to be made by then. I thought I would try to get a little more sleep, but a nurse informed me that parents weren't allowed on the beds after 6 a.m. Daniel arrived quite sleepy-eyed. I was tired, too. I didn't know how much longer I could go on. Daniel suggested we leave and try another clinic. I wasn't sure we should leave just yet, but we were both frustrated with what was going on and wasn't sure Autumn was getting the treatment she needed. 
I talked with the director of the medical staff. His assistant, who spoke English very well, told us it was not in Autumn's best interest to leave just then. After we called a clinic and found that they could not take patients on full-time oxygen, we decided to stay put. John Kent suggested we get a room at the hotel next door to the hospital and make things a little easier. That was a big relief. The hotel served breakfast, so I didn't have to worry about feeding everyone. Late that morning, many nearby patients were moved to other units, and things quieted down. Autumn seemed about the same, but not any worse. A man came and did some more physiotherapy on her chest. As I sat and watched Autumn sleep, a woman rushed in with a limp baby girl in her arms, placing her on the bed next to Autumn's. She was not breathing, and hospital staff immediately started using a bag mask resuscitator on her and worked to start an IV. That baby's going to die, I thought to myself. Her skin was pale and a bit blue as if she had already passed away. She was all dirty and I wondered if she had been in a motorcycle accident. As the medical staff worked to save the little life, I noticed a young woman peeking around the half wall next to where the baby lay. She had a look of pure terror on her face and I realized she must be the baby's mother. My heart broke for her. I could only imagine the anguish she must be experiencing. The medical staff finally succeeded in starting an IV in the little girl's head. They handed the resuscitator to the mother and she took over helping her baby breathe. It dawned on me that the hospital had no ventilator machines. The mother would have to keep squeezing the bag until her baby could breathe on her own. If she got tired and stopped, her baby would die. How awful, I thought, as I imagined what her night was going to be like. The medical staff finished drawing the baby's blood and went back to whatever they were doing before. The baby had pooped all over the bed and the mother shakily tried to clean up the mess with one hand. Her vision blurred by tears. I grabbed some baby wipes and took them over to her. She accepted them and managed a small smile of thanks. In that moment, I felt our hearts bond. How fortunate I was that Autumn wasn't as sick as her baby. I prayed earnestly for the little life. As evening came, a friend came to assist the young woman with her baby. All night long, they took turns working the breathing bag. The next morning, I asked one of the nurses what had happened to the baby. Dehydration from diarrhea, she said. I was surprised. Had the mother really waited until her baby wasn't breathing to get help at the hospital? The care was free. What had kept her away until it was almost too late? Later that morning, the little girl began breathing on her own and they stopped using the bag mask. What a relief. Autumn seemed to be a little bit better. The doctor told me she might be able to go home the next day. Inwardly, I groaned at the thought of spending another night in the hospital. I was wearing down. Somehow I made it through that day and another night. The next morning, another doctor told me she needs to stay another day or two. My heart sank again. Yesterday, the other doctor said she could probably go home today, I countered. I'll have to talk to her, he said. The assistant to the medical director came and examined Autumn. Will you be buying a nebulizer to administer medicines at home, she asked. Yes, I said, my husband is out buying it now. Okay, I think Autumn can go then. I want her to have one more physiotherapy treatment before she goes, though. If she gets worse, you can always bring her back in. Show this if you need to bring her in again. She handed me an ID card. Thank you so much, I said, very relieved. We had already paid for one more night at the hotel, so we stayed the night there in case we needed to return to the hospital. I was so happy to be leaving the hospital and rejoining my family. Autumn continued to improve, and today she is happy and healthy. I praise the Lord for taking care of her and healing her. I have a much better understanding now of what families go through in hospitals here. Maybe that is why the young mother waited until it was almost too late. I pray that I can use the lessons of this experience to be more supportive to people in medical need. 
Also, I have a new understanding of how valuable our field director is to our work. The work of field directors is so important, yet I fear that supporters sometimes overlook them. AFM is in need of field directors. We missionaries need them in order to be effective in our ministry. If you feel the Lord drawing you to this high calling, please contact AFM to learn more. If not, please join in supporting a field director. Again, I can't imagine how scared Kara was for her baby and for the woman that brought her child in after a terrible accident. Mothers have an unconditional love for their children, just like God has for His children. A mother would do anything for her child. This story reminds me of how God loves us that He gave His life to save us so that we can finally reunite with Him at the Second Coming. To God, our lives are more important than His life. That is what we call unconditional love. We hope you enjoyed the story and will join us again next week for more from our missionaries. Take care and God bless. <laughs>